All right. Well, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's a privilege to get to worship Jesus. I'm just so thankful uh, to be able to come together every single week, praise Jesus, hear from his word. It's such an opportunity. So if you are new, thanks for being here. We recognize that it's difficult to go to a new place. So thanks for coming today. And I do want to encourage everybody one more time, summer party this Friday. If I'm the only one in the inflatable, I'm going to be upset. Okay, I'm just kidding. Come. It's going to be fun. It's, it's about community. It's about mission, right? We get to connect with each other, but also we get to invite our friends to come to a casual environment, be in the presence of God where there's, there's fun, but also we'll have some worship. It's going to be a great time. All right, at this time, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue our, our sermon series in the book of Philippians. It's been such a great summer going through this book uh, verse by verse. And in last week, we started what is probably the most potent passage in the Bible on humility. It might be one of the most important passages in the entire Bible, right? So we looked at, at verses one through four of chapter two, which is really part one of a two-part uh, sermon, really. Like last week was part one. Now we're going to get into part two, essentially. And in verse three and four, I just want to refresh your memory. Paul called the church in Philippi to do this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. What a call. What a challenge, right? We could just sit there again today. And then he says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He calls the church at Philippi. They're in a hostile environment. They're being persecuted for their faith. He's saying, if you're going to go the distance as a church, you have to refuse self-centeredness, and you have to look out for each other. And then he continues on uh, this theme in in verse 5, he says this, and this is our text for today. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, and so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, the sermon's out. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, if you're still not taking notes at Scent Church, I got to pray for you. Sermon title is People of Love, the People of Love. All right, let's pray one more time before we get into this. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak. So Lord, we come to you. And we invite you to speak to our hearts. God, help us to, to be kind of fixated on what you're saying this morning. Give us a sensitivity to, uh, or to what you want to say to us. So Holy Spirit, we give you the reins. We invite you to make this not just like lofty words of wisdom, not just a good teaching, but a demonstration of your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had our 10-year wedding anniversary and if you're like, wow, you look young for 10 years, we got married at 20, okay? So, so but, but there you go. So when we met 12 years ago, one of the first things we did together, well, this is before we started dating, we went to this concert with a group of friends in Des Moines in a small club, and it was a guy by the name of Matt Carney. You've heard of Matt Carney, like, like four of you. But, uh, but at the time, we didn't really know his music, but uh, quickly fell in love with his music, and it's become like... Like several of his songs are in like the top 25 most played songs on my Apple Music. And it's pretty crazy because Matt happened to be 
in Iowa City two days before our 10-year wedding anniversary in a smaller venue doing an acoustic thing. So I'm just like, Jesus loves us. So right before our 10-year anniversary, it's our guy, he's here. So we went there, and it was pretty cool. We got there just a tad late. We didn't know the guy opening up for him, so we got there a tad late. And we're standing outside the venue, and there's like four or five other people out there. And then one of the people says, oh, hey, Matt. And Matt's coming across. He's, he's getting out of his tour bus, which is parked across the street. And he's like, he's relatively famous. He comes out. He just, you know, carrying his bag, walking. And he's like, hey, guys. He goes into the venue. And I'm like, what is going on? That's not normal, right? Nobody's carrying his bags. There's no one surrounding him. He's just another dude in Iowa City hanging out about to do a show. And his humility has always been one of my favorite things about him. He has just never seemed very into himself, and his goal has never appeared to be fame. He just seems more focused on his family and just doing what he loves. And I think that this kind of humility is beautiful, right? We like that. We're attracted to that kind of humility. We want to follow people like that, but it's so elusive to us. Uh, for most of us, if we're given the opportunity to get ahead, we're going to take it, right? If we can get a step up, we're going to uh, take that step. Our natural bent is not to decrease, but to increase, right? We want to increase. It's not to serve others, but to be served. It's not to take the low road of obscurity, right? Obscurity is hard to come by in 2023 when everyone's got their own personal profile. Well, several. We got a new uh, threads. It's a new social media thing. If you didn't know about that, go start your 18th profile devoted to yourself. Anyways, (laughs) so it's not to take the low road of obscurity, but to take the road of acclaim and success It's not to pour ourselves out to others, but to protect and to worry about, number one, ourselves. That's our natural bent, right, is to protect ourselves, to look out for ourselves. And why is that? Well, well, simply put, putting other people before ourselves is really hard. It's not easy. We have sinful natures that, that tell us we're number one, we're most important. And we live in a culture that, that bolsters that idea and says it's all about you, it's all about your comfort. And we have an enemy, the devil, who wants us to buy into that lie, who's constantly speaking those lies to us. So humility is hard, and love is hard. Sacrifice is difficult. And because of this, relationships can be hard, and church can be hard. In a 19th century Russian novel, the author said this. His name is Fyodor Dostoevsky. That is correct. He said this, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Okay, to love one another, it sounds amazing in theory, but it's hard to actually do. It's easy to be inspired by Jesus' vision for love, but it's much harder to actually, or to actually live out his vision for love. In John 13, thank you, come on somebody. John 13, verse 34 and 35, it says, a new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus right before he's about to be crucified. He, he gives this commandment to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the call. The world's going to know we follow Jesus by our love for each other. And despite the difficulty of love, this is our call. We are to love as Christ loved us. And we can sometimes get confused about what true love actually is. Okay, so sometimes we think it's like a warm feeling. But no, love at its core is to put other people before yourself. And that's precisely what Paul calls us to 
in Philippians chapter 2. He calls us by, or by calling us to count others as more significant than ourselves and to consider their interests, he's calling us essentially to love. He's calling us to obey Jesus' commandment in John 13. In verse 5, he says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, he's saying, in your relationships with each other, you're supposed to have the, or the same or same way of thinking and acting, the same mindset as Jesus. You're called to love as Jesus loved. His mindset, Jesus' mindset towards other people, the way that he lived his life when he walked the earth, that's supposed to be our model of how to do life together. And Paul explains this mindset a bit in the following verses. It's likely here, so in verses 6 through 11, it's likely that he's quoting a very early Christian hymn. Okay, so uh, Philippians was written in, a, in the early 60s, so about 30 years after Jesus left the earth. And this poem was likely written before that. So this is a very early Christian hymn or poem. And he's showing us through this poem what it means to have the mindset of Jesus in our relationships. He says this, he says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Okay, so by saying that he was in the form of God, Paul is saying that, that Jesus is the true and exact nature of God. He, he possesses all the characteristics and qualities of God. Jesus has been God for all of eternity. Okay, so Paul says this about Jesus in uh, the book of Colossians. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so through Jesus of Nazareth, right, through this man, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all of it was created through him and for him, and he holds the whole universe together. Okay, so the former theologian and prime minister of the Netherlands, come on, I didn't plan that. <laughs> I didn't plan, I promise. Abraham Kuyper said this. He said, this is, or there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus is the sovereign God. He's always been. He always will be. He is the king of heaven and earth. And yet, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And the word for grasped is the same word for snatched or robbed. Okay, so the Jesus who, who owns the universe did not clutch or cling to or seize equality with God. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself by doing what? By, by taking the form of a servant or of a slave, other translations say. Okay, so get this, the God of the cosmos became a baby in the womb of a teenager in the backwoods, or the backwoods town of Nazareth. The God over the hundreds of billions of galaxies who spun them all into existence became the carpenter down the street who made your table. What is up with that? All right, so I want to show a picture. Okay, so speaking of galaxies, last summer... I was blown away. Okay, so the God over, sorry, I was going to say something and then I got ahead of myself. The God over the hundreds of billions of galaxies, again, he spun them all into existence, right? So, so he spun them all into existence at that same God. 
is the one who did not count equality with God to be grasped. Okay, so speaking of galaxies, last summer I was blown away when these first images of the James Webb telescope came out. This is on like July 12th, so it's like the one-year anniversary this week. Okay, so as far as I understand, this is a better version of the Hubble telescope. It's the most powerful telescope in history. And this photo here is what's called a deep-filled picture. Okay, so those bright, uh, spiky points are stars. But then every tiny oval blob is a, is a distant galaxy filled with its own stars and planets. Okay, so this is just a tiny fraction of our universe. Let me show you another picture. Okay, here's a picture from January of this year. And this picture captured 25,000 galaxies in a single photo. For context, our Milky Way galaxy has 100 billion stars. And most of the stars in our galaxy are thought to have their own planetary systems. According to NASA, we've discovered 5,250 planets so far in our galaxy. There's 25,000 galaxies in that picture. And we've discovered 3,921 planetary systems within our galaxy. And And we live on just one of those planets. If the Earth were the size of a grain of salt, which is 0.004 inches, uh, the diameter of the Milky Way would be 5.1 million miles. There's 25,000 of those in that picture. Okay, so scientists estimate that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies, and some even say that there's two trillion. It's hard to even grasp this with our finite minds. The God who created all of this with the sound of his voice, he chose to become a human being. He had infinite glory at his fingertips, and he chose to be humiliated. He chose to empty himself. Jesus emptied himself. This is the first piece of his mindset that that Paul is calling us to get. It's important to know that he did not empty himself of his divinity. He didn't stop being God, but he chose to not rely on his divinity. He chose to allow himself to be hungry and lonely and experience the worst of human emotions. He, He stooped down to our level. Jesus, he, he, he chose to be full of compassion. It says this in verse 36 of Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so Jesus, the one who spun all that stuff into existence, he, he doesn't look down on people who struggle, but he sympathizes with them. He's incredibly patient. In our Gospel of Mark series, we saw how, how boneheaded the disciples were. They needed to be told the same things over and over and over and over and and over. And over again, before they would understand. And he would keep telling them over and again. Okay, he, he, he chose to resist any sense of entitlement, right? He has the right to be entitled, right? If you think you have a right to be entitled, Jesus certainly had a right to be enti- entitled, and he, and he resisted any sense of entitlement. In Matthew 20, it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, he gave himself up. He didn't view leadership as a right to be thrown around, but as an opportunity to lift other people up. Jesus was the opposite of entitled. He wasn't primarily concerned with his own needs, but he cared for the interests of other people. He emptied himself of all the rights, privileges, and perks of being a king and became a servant. And this is what we're supposed to apply in our relationships. Sounds easy. Perfect. Okay, so if we want to have this mindset then we have to empty ourselves of entitlement, pride, and self-centeredness. But Jesus, he didn't only empty himself. He also did the unthinkable act of surrendering his life. It says this in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. He humbled himself by giving himself up on the cross. Even though the thought of the cross agonized him, it wasn't like, oh, the cross, that's easy. I'm God. I can do it. No, it agonized him. It caused him to sweat drops of blood on the eve of his crucifixion. He still went through with it, even though the thought of the cross filled him with terror. He still did it. Jesus sacrificed himself. At his very heart, Jesus is a giver. He's not a taker. He's not in it for himself. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was willing to pour himself out for the good of the world. Okay, when he went into rooms, he wasn't thinking, who can serve me? And what's in it for me? He was thinking, who can I bless? Who can I serve? Who can I love? And this is the second piece of Christ's mindset that I think he's calling us to imitate today. As the people of God, we must empty ourselves and sacrifice ourselves for others. In other words, we must become people of love. That's the call, people of love. Okay, this doesn't mean you have warm feelings towards people all the time, right? So if you're like, hey, I can't do it. Well, it's not about that. It's about making a decision. See, love is an action. It's a decision to lay yourself down for other people. As you grow in Christ, you should do this more and more and more. And this is actually what it means to be mature in Christ. A 16th century nun put it this way. She said, when one reaches the highest degree of human maturity, one has only one question left. How can I be helpful? The willingness to sacrifice for others and put aside your own interests is true Christ-likeness and maturity. If you want to know, this is good, are you ready? If you want to know if you're growing up in Christ, if you're maturing, look at how well you love and serve other people. Look at how well you're emptying yourself and doing things you don't want to do and sacrificing yourself for the interests of others. If you never do anything that you don't want to do, you are immature in Christ. You are just a baby Christian. The way you know if you're growing up is if you're willing to lay aside your own comfort and interest for other people. Peter Scazzaro said this, love is the measure of spiritual maturity. If we're honest, we all fall short of Jesus' example, right? We all fall short. It's not even close. As much as we might like the idea of loving others well, and we may dream of being a people of love and humility, it seems we can't really figure out how to actually do it. And it's not really entirely our fault. As I said earlier, the world, our sinful flesh, and the devil make it pretty hard to have the mindset of Christ. It makes it easy to have the opposite mindset of Jesus. And really, I think that, that there's two ways we have the opposite mindset of Jesus right now in our culture specifically. The first thing is, instead of emptying ourselves, we often promote ourselves. Okay, again, I know I, I dog on social media a lot. And I have a Facebook. I have a Twitter. I don't post because no one follows me, but I have a Twitter. If you want to follow me on Twitter, that might get me excited. Anyways, (laughs) in the social media age where we have entire web pages devoted to ourselves, it's easy to fall into this, right? It's easy to just be about promoting ourselves. But this isn't a new thing, right? It's not like we're the first human beings to promote ourselves. Uh, Jesus' own disciples, they struggled with this. In Luke's gospel, so get this, just after Jesus introduces communion for the first time, he's like, I'm going to break my body. 
I'm going to shed my blood for you. He says, I'm going to be betrayed by you. Or just after that, and actually based on John's gospel, we think that the washing of the, uh, of the disciples' feet happened around that time too. So just after that, uh, his disciples, they get into an argument about who's the greatest. All right, verse 24, it says they dispute, okay? So communion, there's like, like trays playing in the background on the keys. A dispute, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Okay, we're not the first people to struggle with this. And then Jesus, he proceeds to tell them that the greatest is the one who serves. At this point, they just wanted to promote themselves. They wanted to sit at his right and left hand and to rule over their enemies. They didn't understand that true greatness was found in giving their lives up. They didn't understand that before Jesus would be exalted, he would first have to be humiliated. And we struggle with the same thing today. We struggle to empty ourselves of pride. We struggle to do thankless jobs. We struggle to do things that don't directly lead to some type of personal benefit. And we think that certain elements of service are beneath us. And we even think that certain people are beneath us. I want to preach another sermon about that right now. If you only talk to people you like at church, you're doing it wrong. If you only talk to people who are easy to talk to, you're doing it wrong. And not just that, we often refuse to forgive and give people the benefit of the doubt, even though Jesus has forgiven us so much. If we want to be like Jesus in our relationships with one another, we have to forsake promoting ourselves over others. We have to utterly reject selfish ambition. And we must empty ourselves of pride and ambition and our rights. We must let the love of Jesus squeeze these things out of us. We can't be full of the Holy Spirit if we're full of ourselves. I think, there, I think there's one other way we take on the opposite mindset of Jesus. Instead of sacrificing ourselves, we protect ourselves. Okay, so Jesus, he, he clearly calls us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. And we ought, Instead of that, we often do what's easy and pursue what's comfortable and follow our own desires. And we live in a culture and a time in history where we're so caught up in ourselves. We're so caught up in doing whatever feels good for us. Our primary concern is not the needs of the world, but, but what makes me feel good. And we even do this sometimes under the guise of spiritual language. Okay, my earnest desire for our church is we would be a church that practices what Pete Scazzaro calls slowed down spirituality. I want that for our church. I pray that our church would be a people who, who practice silence and stillness before the Lord. We Sabbath and we rest and we do all of that. I believe that only when we do those things, only when we slow down, only when we learn to say no, will we be able to better serve the world. When we abide and remain in Jesus, we'll bear fruit out of that. However, even with that being said, sometimes, or sometimes I think we use the need for rest and the need to slow down as an excuse to say no to things that Jesus is asking us to do. If the only things you say no to are the things you don't want to do, you're doing it wrong. Oh, no, no, I got to slow down. I got time for all that other stuff. I don't got time to serve God's church. I don't got time to be in community. I got time, though, for all the other activities I do in life. Sometimes we use spiritual language to say no to things that Jesus wants us to do. We say no to opportunities to serve him and people because we or because we believe that that's going to help us to slow down, but, but Jesus is actually calling us to say no to other things that are taking up space in our lives. 
as Iowans, our problem is not typically that we're saying yes to too much uh, for serving Jesus, but it's actually that uh, we're saying yes to too much other stuff. I, I, I'm just gonna say, like 95, no. And, okay, let's go 95. 95% of you are not struggling with saying yes too much to Jesus and, and doing things for his church. There might be 5% of you that, that we're gonna help you. We're gonna pray for you. You're doing a little too much. I talked about Jen Burkett last week. We'll pray for her after service. She's kidding. <laughs> but 95% of you, of us, let me say us, are not saying yes too much to serving God's people. You're not saying yes too much to community. You're not saying yes too much to doing hard things. You're saying yes too much to things that don't matter. I'm saying this from firsthand experience. I'm talking about myself. I struggle to do things that I don't want to do. Can I make a confession this morning? Okay, this is terrible, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to get better. I'm not sure yet. Sometimes... I'll realize that, okay, so, so back up. Our boys, man, they can blow a diaper up. <laughs> man, like they like have competitions. They're looking at each other like, and their eyes are watering. They're staring at each other like, let's fill it. <laughs> so there's times I, I, get, I get a little whiff, like, and I'll just walk to the other room. Like, <laughs> I ain't going to lie. Pray for me. I need help. I don't like to do things that I don't want to do, right? So I'm not throwing stones at you this morning. I'm saying we all need to get better, right? So, so be praying, like praying in the spirit all week long, like, God, help Daniel to change some more diapers. All right, it was funny. I asked Emily, I said, what's something that I don't do that I should do? And right away, she's like, you need to change more diapers. Like right away, it took her like two seconds. I asked her in the car yesterday, like, I need an illustration for the sermon. She was so quick. And I said afterwards, like, you were a little too quick in that response. <laughs> And I think we do this a lot with Jesus and his church. We see needs that, that do need to be filled. And we pretend that we don't see them because the needs aren't attractive to fill. We don't think there's enough in it for us. And we pass on making ourselves helpful for the kingdom of God. And we make excuses to protect ourselves. And here's the thing. We're not the only ones who've ever struggled with trying to protect ourselves. Uh, just after Jesus told his disciples that he would be crucified, Peter said this. He says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. Peter's like, no, you're not. I have a 10-year plan for us. It involves thrones and palaces. It does not involve you dying on a wooden tree, right, on a cross. So, so Peter thought that following Jesus was about getting perks and rising up, and he had the audacity to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus responded to Peter like this. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You know that thing I said about patience? His patience had run out at this point. Okay, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, I think we have to consider the question, do we want Jesus to call us Satan because our minds are consumed with the things of man? If we don't want that to be the case, we need to get our minds on the things of God. We need to get the mindset of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And we need to ask the question, how can we be helpful? And what can I give of my time and attention and resource and energy to advance the kingdom of God? If the, kingdom of, if the king of heaven could drop down from his throne to Mary's womb, then I think we can surely give of ourselves to see other people be blessed. Right, Romans 15, Paul says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. We have an obligation, a, 
or to not just seek to please ourselves, but to build our neighbors up. We have an obligation to ask the Lord how we can serve others. All right, what a challenge, right? This is hard. I'm not saying this as someone who's figured it out. I'm saying this as someone who had to prepare this sermon and got convicted all week long by the Holy Spirit. Thanks for letting me do that, everybody. (laughs) Here's the thing. Love in action is hard. It's so hard. So the question is, how do we become a people of love? Okay, so Paul, he calls them to love in the first four verses, and then what does he do? He gives them the way to become people of love in verses 5 through 11, through verses 6 and 11. He So Paul, he wants them to see the love of Jesus, right? To see that that Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to take on the poverty of earth. He wants them to see that. He wants us to see that so it can warm our hearts. He wants us to receive love so then we can give love. So 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Okay, so here's the thing. To become people of love, we have to first experience love. Right? The most loving people are people who are loved. Right? We, we give and then it goes out from us. Or we receive and it goes out from us. So again, to become a people of love, we must experience love. If we're going to pour ourselves out for others, if we're going to resist promotion and protection, we must realize that Jesus first did it for us. And we talked about this a ton last week. We can only give away the love of God to others if we first know his love. We must, okay, So back to last week, we must first breathe in the love of God if we're going to breathe out love for others. We have to reach. That's why it's so important to do spiritual disciplines. It's not because we're just saying, hey, brownie points for Jesus are from Jesus. Do your Bible reading, then he'll love you. No, no, that's not what it is. You need to get under the faucet of God's love so then you can pour out that love for other people. You need to receive the love of God every single day if you're going to be a person of love. We we have to actively receive and breathe in the love of God so we can breathe out love for others. We have to encounter the same good news that Paul encountered that caused him to do the crazy things he did, like get stoned by the people he's trying to preach the gospel to, right? Not the, the, I don't know if we call it fun, but the fun kind of stone, but like rocks at your head. I don't know if it's fun. I'm not doing it, I promise. But the point is, he gets stoned outside a city and he gets back up and, and goes back into the city and keeps preaching, What in the world caused him to do that? He had encountered the love of God. He knew the love of Jesus. That's what what caused him to give his life up. As the people of God, we must let the truth that Jesus came out of heaven and, and died on a tree to shake us up. We must let it get into us. On the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. He disarmed the powers of hell. And he made right relationship with God possible. If we trust In his sacrifice on our behalf, we can be saved. We can be with God forever. His blood and sacrifice makes it possible for us to have right relationship with God. It makes it possible for God to look at us and not see any of our sin. And while our sin causes us to be far from God, the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus makes it possible to be brought near to God. In Ephesians 2, 13, it says this. It says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the blood of the Messiah. In Ephesians 1, 3, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because Jesus gave it all, we can have it all. And this should cause us to give it all. In and out. Even though we are more flawed than we could ever imagine, we are more loved than we could ever dream. 
on our worst days and our best days, God loves us. On the days that you read your Bible and pray and love people well and do all the things God wants you to do, he loves you. And on the days that you utterly miss the mark, he loves you. He loves us at our worst. At your worst moment, think about the worst moment of your life, the very worst thing you've ever done. God looked at you in that moment. If you're in Christ, he, he looked at you in that moment and saw his son Jesus and still loved you just the same. If that'll mess you up, I don't know what's gonna mess you up. That's how you grow in loving other people. You realize the, uh, the reckless, the, the ferocious love of God. If we wanna be a people who give it all, we have to receive it from Jesus first. We can't give something we don't possess. His grace has to shake us up. If we want to breathe out love for people, we have to breathe in the love of God. If we can make it a consistent discipline to get in God's presence and sit in his love, we'll more easily become people of love. We'll be so moved by his love and filled with gratitude that thoughts will come into our minds on how to serve other people. We'll start to want to be strategic on how we can leverage our lives to build up other people. We'll stop thinking about what's in it for us and start thinking about how we can serve others. And as we're not thinking about ourselves all the time, as we're considering the interests of others, we'll be moved into action. We'll start doing things to actually serve other people. If we can breathe in the love of God, we'll just start naturally uh, breathing out the love of God and our lives will become beautiful and glorious. Our lives will be a sign and wonder as we model the gospel in our relationships and we will flourish as we live life God's way. Okay, so look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus laid his life down, God made sure to vindicate him by exalting him to the highest place and giving him the name above all names. His willingness to empty himself and sacrifice himself led to glory glory. And the same is true for us. If we humble ourselves, if we walk the road of love, we invite God to lift us up. It says this in Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the deal. When we humble ourselves, we get to live beautiful lives that actually matter. And we get to store up treasure in heaven. And while our rewards and, and blessings should not be the motivation for serving God, it is a reality. When you follow Jesus' example, who himself was humiliated for the sake of the world, uh, then you will also follow his ascension to true greatness. And that's what Jesus told his disciples who wanted to be great. The boneheads at the communion time said this, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader is the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He says, don't look to the emperor for greatness. Don't look to Alexander the Great for greatness. Look at what I'm doing. I'm laying my life down for you. That is greatness. I've not come to build an earthly kingdom. I've come to lay my life down for the good of the world. And that's the pathway to greatness. That's the pathway to glory. Servanthood is true greatness. So we have to ask ourselves an important question this morning. Do we want beauty or do we want comfort? 
Like, what do you want for your life? Do you just want to be as comfortable as possible and then die? Or do you want glory? I want glory. I want my life to matter. I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want him to look at me and say, hey, I gave you all this to steward and you just put it in the ground and you sat on it. I want him to say, you leveraged your life for the glory of my name and you made your life matter. So Jesus this morning, he's inviting us to step into true greatness by becoming people of love. That's the pathway. If you want glory, you gotta become a person of love. That's the main idea. Get that in your bones this morning. He's, he's inviting you. He's saying, come and follow me. He's saying, lay down your life for the good of the world. He's saying, be truly great. Reject the world's idea of greatness and follow me. That's the call this morning. So three years ago, we were gearing up to plant Scent Church right in the middle of COVID-19. And we're making enemies on the internet by taking Scent Church uh, name. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I totally got that too. A lot of people are like, what are you talking about? You're like, you got a penny? I don't know. Anyways, it hurt my feelings a lot in the beginning, but I'm over it now. But uh, <laughs> so it blows my mind to think about what God has done in such a short amount of time. Man, he's moved mountains in three years. And we can see the fruit all around us. We've seen lives changed and disciples made and leaders raised up. And we've seen a spiritual family begin to take shape. But here's the thing. None of this would be possible if it weren't for sacrificial love. We are all the recipients of other people's sacrificial love. I think of the churches who got behind us at the very beginning, right in the middle of COVID when their giving is going down and all that stuff. They're saying, we're going to give you resource to be able to plant your church. I think of Donna Lons, who, who made the decision to move here with her sophomore daughter and to uproot her life, to come and help us plant Scent Church and to be like the best cook in the world for our church. That's a side note. I think of Pam and Jeff Johnson who came to the first party in the park. It was mainly Chi Alpha students. There was maybe like one other family there and they're like, hey, I'm gonna buy into this. And they've been here every step of the way ever since. They opened up their home to, to host the first youth group, right? Hey, God bless you guys for doing that. <laughs> it might've smelled a little bit in their basement, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> so I think of Jacob and Amber Enos and Noah and Avery Rukti who volunteered their time to pioneer the youth group in those days. I think of Dan and Becky Quimby who are my parents, but man, they drive up here every single week for an hour here, an hour back just to be able to serve our church. I think of all the Chi Alpha students and staff who have volunteered hundreds and hundreds of hours to serve on the Dream Team. I think of people like Nancy Rand and Brandon Todd who prepare incredible food for our Activate classes and do it with a smile on their faces. Our church is built on the backs of people who have sacrificed. It's built on the backs of people of love. Here's the deal though. This church can't be built on the sacrifices of the few, but it must be built on the standard of us all. It must be our collective joy and privilege to lay our lives down for other people. It's not a burden. It's not a burden. It's not a burden to serve and to get up early on Sundays to, to come and, and, and get the coffee ready or to serve on the worship team or to be in the kids' ministry. It's not a burden to go out in the streets and share the gospel. It's not a burden to, or to host people in your home. It's not a burden. 
It's a privilege. If Jesus allowed himself to be humiliated for us, it is a privilege to do these small acts of service in response to him. It's our joy. It's our privilege to serve. We're all called to be ministers who serve Jesus and build up his church. It's not just for paid pastors. It's not just for the really spiritual people. We all have a gift to bring to the table. You are uniquely wired and designed to contribute to the body of Christ. You have a unique gift to bring to the table. But to get there where it's the standard of us all, we have to understand the love of Jesus. Since we've been so loved by Jesus, we just can't help but love his church and build up others. It must be our mode of operation to breathe in the love of God and breathe out love for others. And I want to invite you to join us in this endeavor. And so many of you already have, but if you haven't, I want to invite you to say, I'm not just going to attend church. I'm going to jump in. If you are a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just join us and be a part. And when you're ready, jump in. But if you are a follower of Jesus and this is your church home, I want to invite you to join in to build the body of Christ up. There's a great opportunity coming next week as we're doing Activate again. We do it every quarter. We're doing Activate. And it's designed to equip you with the tools you need to not only have a personal relationship with Jesus, but also to truly engage in community and to use your gifts to build up the church. It's designed to help you live out the call uh, or to love one another in the context of the local church. So if you haven't done yet, I just want to encourage you, don't miss out on this round. As we head into the fall and we continue to grow, we're going to need more and more people to say yes to serving and building up the church. Do you see a lot of seats around you that are available right now? Is there a lot of room that you're just feeling really like, wow, there's so much space this morning? There was a lot of space at one point, summer of 2021. I don't want to go back, but there's not a lot of space right now. In this fall, we're going to have to go to two services if we want to reach anybody else. Right? We're going to talk about that more in the next few weeks, what that looks like, what the steps we're taking for that. But to do that, we need more people. to say, hey, I'm going to lay my life down for the good of the church. Right? We need more people to step up and say, hey, however I can serve, however I can be a blessing, and it's not because we, we want something from you. It's because actually we want something for you and we want something for our city. We want to be able to reach our city and to host whoever God decides to bring to our church in the next few months. I get it. So hear me, I get it. Some of you have been hurt by the church and you've been burned by community. You have poured yourself out already and you got hurt. And you don't want to get hurt again. I hear you. I've been hurt by the church myself many times. But despite the pain of community, there is nothing more beautiful than loving like Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful than pouring yourself out for others. Oftentimes, the path to healing is to jump back into community. You gotta get back in the game. If you're angry at another church, I encourage you to put away bitterness Make it right. Get your heart clean. Forgive. Have a conversation if you need to have one. And let God bring restoration so you can move forward and give yourself to Jesus in community once more. I'm saying this as someone who's been there. Okay? Not saying it as someone who has never, I've experienced deep pain in community. I've had to walk through bitterness and forgiveness and all of that. And once I got free of that bitterness, oh my goodness, God opened the floodplains of, of the blessing in my life bitterness can get a hold on you and it can, it can make you become someone you don't want to become. So get right. 
And there's others this morning who you're too busy for God to use you in community. You simply don't have room to love other people. You've filled up your life so much with stuff that you don't have any room to love anybody. Okay, this morning, make a decision to make room for love. Make room for love. Others of you are only willing to love on your own terms. You're willing to love as long as it fits with your pet agenda. And you're willing to serve as long as it suits your desires and doesn't infringe too much on your personal time. Empty yourself this morning. Others of you have put unrealistic expectations on other people. And you ask so much of others, but nothing of yourself. Don't do that. Go easy on other people. Give people the benefit of the doubt. It's a lot better way to live. Have really low expectations for others and high expectations for yourself. Don't ask what others can do for you, but instead what you can do for others. We are called to become people of love. This is our joy, it's our privilege, it's our prize. I want to end, go ahead and stand your feet actually. I want to just read a scripture over you and then we're going to worship. And the prayer team's going to be available up here. We're going to have the altars open. I know service is going a little long today. We've been going long for like six weeks in a row, so maybe just the new service time. I'm sorry. God's been moving, right? We had a prophetic word today. We had missionaries. I'm, joy- I'm, I'm thankful to be here. Um, but I, I want to read 1 Corinthians 13 over you. Okay, this is Paul. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I, del- and I deliver my body up to be burned, but had- or have not love, I gain nothing. That's the call. To be people of love. I want to see miracles in our church. I want to see uh, the raw power of God. But if we don't have love, it's all for nothing. If we're not following Jesus' example, it's worthless. But if we can be a people of love, we'll help each other grow. It'll be this process where we're all growing together and we'll be able to become a sign and wonder to the world. So this morning, let's choose humility. Let's choose love. I want to pray for us and then we'll worship. So Jesus, right now, all across this room, I pray that you would just baptize us in love, God, dunk us in love, immerse us in your love. God, remind us of the conversation that's happening in heaven right now about us. God, give us an ear to hear what you're saying about us, that you love us even in the midst of our worst moments, that you love us even when we totally, utterly screw up. God, help us to hear your heart this morning. And out of that, that you'd help us to just pour ourselves out for other people. Oh Lord, help it to be our true prize to lay our lives down. Help it to be our prize to follow in your example. in a world of apathy. God, help it to be our prize to say, I'm pouring it all out for God and for the world. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the altar's open, the worship team.